You're listening to the Infatuation Podcast, which is a show where we talk about Asian people that we love. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we'll be talking to Miranda Kwok, who is the creator and executive producer of Fox's new drama, The Cleaning Lady. Welcome back, everyone. Hope your 2022 is going well, all things considered. Uh, definitely a good time to be staying home, and what better to do while you're home than watch a little television, right? So we're going to talk about a fun show. I think it's an important show as well. Uh, it's called The Cleaning Lady. It shows on Fox on Mondays at 9 p.m., but I hear we're also doing repeat episodes on Saturday as well. Is that right? That's right. Saturdays at 9 p.m. as well. Yeah, or... You can do. You can be like me and watch it anytime on Fox.com or the Fox Now app. But it's called the Cleaning Lady, and it is. It really caught my eye. I saw a couple preview things early, maybe December. Some stuff coming up. It was like, oh, this new show, and it really caught my eye. And I was like, oh, I was talking to my friend Melanie. I was like, we should probably do something on this show. And then I saw you post. I think it was somewhere on Facebook, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll ask. Miranda Kwok to come on, and so I I messaged you, and you got back to me. So we have an exciting episode today. We have the creator and executive producer Miranda Kwok with us today. Good afternoon, Miranda. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here and to talk about this show. So appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's an honor for us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So this is my friend Melanie. She's coming along to help me. Hi, Melanie. How are you guys? We're good. Hello. Uh, we're going to talk about this show a little bit, about representation, a little bit about Miranda, and so let's just get into it. I was a doctor in the Philippines. My son needs this treatment. Oh, he won't make it. I'm sorry. Your visa, it's expired. Can you really turn away a five-year-old boy? Wanna take a drink of that promised land? You'll make it happen one day. I know it. Gotta Let me clean it for you. You have a great attention to detail. I take pride in my work because I have a family that needs me. Your son is sick. I can help you. I want your work with me. Don't do this. What other option do we have? I need you. I'll be there in five minutes. Nobody can find out what happened here. Why do you want me to work for you? Because I like you. I agreed to clean, to save my son. But this is not who I am. Tony De La Rosa, I just have a couple questions. We both know that you're not telling me everything. Do you trust me? If anything happens, swear my son will be safe. So, um, let's start with a little bit about you. It sounds like your background has had a big part in shaping who this, uh, shaping what this show is about. Uh, we got our information from Wikipedia, so it might not always be 100% accurate, so correct us if we're wrong. But uh, you grew up in Canada? I did. I was born in Toronto and uh, grew up in Canada. What was the uh, Asian community for you like growing up in Canada? Well, there's definitely a very large um, Asian community in Canada. 
Um, but I would say in general, Canada is just very diverse. And so I grew up with um, just a lot of diverse friends from different backgrounds. And um, I, I do think that there is a little bit of a difference that, you know, either they're moving to America. Um, there's definitely a lot of diversity here, but there's also a lot more segregation and separation. Um, but since I generally don't define myself <laughs> by those terms, like I, I find that I still do have, um, you know, a lot of diverse friends and, and again, people from many, many backgrounds, many cultures. And I think that's, you know, that's part of who I am. And that's part of what I wanted to infuse in the show as well. So you will see that there are a lot of different people from and immigrants from different places. And, and part of that and part of wanting to, you know, create a show with a lot of diverse voices is to show, you know, at the core, we're all the same. You know, we're all people trying to survive, trying to get by, doing our best for our families and, and whatever that takes. So I, I think that was part of the inspiration for that. For sure, it's definitely coming across. And then, as a as a young person, you kind of got the drama bug early. Did you did you start doing drama in high school, middle school? When did the drama bug get you? <laughs> well, I actually um, was very fortunate that um, I had a teacher who sent me to a school for the arts, and um, I was. I was very good at visual arts, and um, I had no idea what this art school was about. And so, um, but she sent me to audition. It was a full day audition where you actually had to excel at three out of the four arts. And, um, you know, I'm Asian, so I played the piano. <laughs> so I had some <laughs> musical ability. Um, and, and so I managed to get into this school, but I was very shy. And most of my friends were drama majors. And so I, I would watch them and I would honestly just be inspired by, by them and how they would take the stage and tell stories. And, and, and that's, I guess, where the bug came from is actually inspired by, by my classmates. Wow. How did you transition from like being an actor to doing things behind the scenes? Well, I so I started um, singing and dancing on a kid video show when I was there. So I went to the art school when I was 10. Um, my first performance on TV was when I was 13, singing and dancing on a kid video show. Very cool. And then when I was 16, I got my first agent. Um, but of course, you know, there are very few roles for Asians. And, you know, back then it was even worse. And so... <laughs> Um, so I guess the transition came when, uh, I mean, I, I, I definitely gave it a shot. I, I started acting in Toronto and, um, you know, definitely had s some roles and guest starring roles and decided to come to LA and, um, and give it a shot here. But, you know, it's, it's very challenging to survive as an actor and you're always waiting for someone to say yes and you know i'm not the kind of person to wait for my phone to ring so i i decided that um you know in order to tell the kinds of stories that i wanted to tell and i had to i had to write and sort of create my you know create my own work um, write my own stories and and so that was that was part of the transition that's what lynn manuel Miranda that had to do right like he had to make his own roles right yeah similar um and then when you went to uni you were leaning more towards social services and especially women's issues 
Yeah. So, you know, as I said, it, it was tough to be an actor. And after going to this art school, my parents were like, okay, that's all, all good. But when are you going to get serious with your life? Right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, at one point I actually thought I would be become a psychiatrist. And I started counseling on um, a rape crisis line in Toronto. I also worked for a women's shelter. And I realized that, you know, psychiatry can actually be a very difficult profession as well. And that there was a lot of focus on medication and not just actually talking to somebody and, you know, learning what it is they're actually dealing with. Um, and, And so through my experience, actually being a therapist on, on these crisis lines, I realized that I, you know, that's not necessarily the profession I wanted to go into unless it was to, to change certain things. And I realized that I really miss the arts. Um, you know, there, even though you can talk to somebody and you can try to give them advice and encouragement of, of what to do, I found that, the, you know, you could, you could have a lot more influence, um, in storytelling. And there's so many people who are so closed off and shut down in their own lives, but they can sit in a dark movie theater and all their eyes out because a story affected them. And so, you know, I think that, you know, allowing somebody to follow a character or a story allows them to really um, connect with with that journey and, you know, learn how to find their strength, learn how to get through obstacles. And so that became the inspiration of why I I decided to go back into the arts and um, become a storyteller and, and a writer specifically. Yeah. I mean, you're giving people hope. You're giving, you know, letting people be seen, giving them a voice. It's really, it's important work, you know, it, it's entertainment, but it's super important too. And I imagine just having that background gives you a, a great perspective too in, in how you write characters. I think so. I think it's more in, inspired, you know, I'm inspired to, to do the characters justice, you know, to really show, you know, the challenges of what they go through to really show the, the multi dimensions of their characters. You know, we, we all are, you know, we, we're not one thing. We, we all are multifaceted and, and um, go through so many different struggles and there's so many layers to all of our struggles. So I think that's, I think that's part of the motivation of, of being able to tell these stories too, is, you know, I, I met some incredible people and, and, and incredible survivors. And um, I was definitely inspired to, to share some of those stories. And, and my first screenplay was actually about the comfort woman, and so um, I was I was I was really inspired to tell that story. I, I first found out about it when I was at the Toronto Metropolitan Library, and they had um, they basically had like a display and um, honoring the women. And when I saw this, I was I was I, I mean, I was overwhelmed, really, um, by the the horrors and the tragedy of it. And I felt so ignorant. And I wondered, like, like, how did I not know about this? And then I did further research and I realized, well, no one knew because this was buried for 50 years. You know, they were women, they were Asian women, and nobody cared what happened to them. And so that was the first screenplay that I, I was just really driven to write. And um, and it was funny because at the time that I was writing this, my roommates 
told me that they wanted to set an alarm clock of when I should go to sleep because it, it literally would keep me up all night just trying to get the story right. And I, I actually had no mm. experience um, I, I, writing um, screenplays at all. I just learned, you know, from being an actor, you know, reading scripts and then reading books on how to write scripts. And so that that itself was was a journey. <laughs> <laughs> so so you do start writing, you get you get into a couple shows, you start writing um, Spartacus, the 100, and you really start getting a, a name for yourself. You start producing some of the 100 episodes as well. And then um then along comes this project. How did how did this project come to you? How did you come to this project? Give us a little bit of the origin story of the cleaning lady. Yeah. Um, so I worked on the hundred um, for four seasons, um, but actually after the third season, my contract was up, and so um, and the show wasn't sure if it was going to get picked up. So I I went out staffing, and I ended up um, getting a job offer. So I went to tell the people, the showrunner um, at at the hundred, and he said, "No, no, no, we want you back." And the number two um, <laughs> said, "No, no, well, we don't have a pickup yet. We can't just, you know, we we can't hold her." And uh-huh. so he said, "Well, let me see what Warner Brothers can do." And I thought I actually didn't, I had no idea what they were going to come up with because obviously they weren't going to pay me to hold me. Um, and then all of a sudden, Warner Brothers contacted. Um, my agent and said that they wanted to offer me a development deal. Um, so it's called a blind script deal. And basically I had to agree to, um, to not staff on another show. And if the hundred got picked up, I would come back to the hundred. And in the meantime, I would develop uh-huh. a show for Warner brothers. So of course I said, yes, it was an amazing opportunity. Um, <laughs> and the hundred came back. So I was working full time <laughs> on the hundred while I was developing The Cleaning Lady. And so um, so basically I met with Warner Brothers and I pitched them a few ideas and then they pitched me a few ideas. And one of them was um, was the Argentinian format, which is La, La Chica Que Limpia. And so Shay Mitchell found the original format and she has an overall deal at Warner Brothers. So they optioned the project for her and it went, to, it went out to writers as what's called an open writing assignment. And so, um, so I was one of the writers that they brought the idea to, and and basically they said, "Do you want to pitch a take?" So um, when I saw that Shay Mitchell was attached to the project, I thought, "Well, mm-hmm. why not have this character be Filipina?" <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, um, so I pitched that idea, and they completely embraced it. Shay embraced it. Um, and so that's so that's you know that's how the character changed from being Argentinian um, wow. to Southeast Asian. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, that was the first step of it, obviously. Um, so 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 yeah. And and part of the inspiration for that was actually when I I you know I went to visit Hong Kong a number of years ago, and uh-huh. there was a moment uh-huh. when it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was walking downtown core and I came across like tens of thousands of Filipinos gathered on the street, literally on the street, sitting on cardboard boxes and, and plastic bags. And they were congregating with their, with their lunches 
you know, to meet with their friends and family because they had no homes and they had nowhere to go. They had no money to, you know, to go to a restaurant. And, and, and it just really struck me this social class and, and how these people were treated. Um, and, and then I think like 10 or 15 years later, I went to Hong Kong again and I saw the exact same thing. And people are telling me like, it's just, it's just become a part of life. And so I, I was I was really just moved by that. And, and, you know, this is a situation that happens all around the world, um, you know, not only in Hong Kong, but in, in, in many places. And so I felt that that, you know, developing a story about a cleaning woman or about a woman, an immigrant who was a doctor in her own country who comes to the States and can't you know, basically practice her, her, you know, what, what, what her, um, what her profession is, was it it just, it just kind of made sense to have that be um, a Southeast Asian character and to tell this story from the Southeast Asian lens. And it's a story we haven't seen before. You know, I think it's, I think it would have been easy for the folks at Warner Brothers to say, you know, let's just keep it Latinx, you know, because it's it's Argentinian, it makes sense. But you came in there, did did you find much resistance or did they buy in right away with the Filipino concept, the Southeast Asian concept of Cambodian? They totally embrace it. Oh, wow. They, they really did. And, um, and then when, uh, I mean, I developed the show for five months with Warner Brothers, um, before we pitched it to Fox, and when we pitched it, Fo- pitched it to Fox, they also fully embraced it as well. Wow, I'm impressed. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I thought you'd have to fight a little harder for that, to be honest, because we just haven't seen that before. You know, there's just not, yeah. nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were definitely times where, um, you know, they 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 wanted to they 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 embraced the idea of it. Um, there were definitely times where. People started to question, should we, you know, it's a challenging role. It's an extremely difficult role because you have this character who has to be, you know, the smartest person in every room who is really strong and resilient and formidable. And yet she also has to be able to play a cleaning lady who is pushed in the shadow and marginalized and, you know, it, it has to, you know, keep her head down. And so it's, it's, a, it's very challenging to play that dynamic. And so, um, you know, we did, we did cast, um, we did casting, you know, all over the country in LA, New York, um, Toronto, Vancouver, Australia, the UK. And, um, you know, there, we did spend a lot of time, we looked at a lot of people and um, so there, you know, there definitely were times where people started to wonder, like, should we open it up? And and at those times, I just dug in further and I dug deeper into the Internet. And um, I actually found Elodie because um, we didn't we didn't do Cassie in France. <laughs> and so, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was a moment um, where where the discussion was, should we open it up? And I'm like, nope, here's another list of a whole bunch of, you know, um, you know, Asians and half Asian, uh, you know, actors that we haven't seen yet. And Elodie was actually at the top of that list. So, um, so, so, so that's how Elodie came into um, this role. 
Yeah, and she she's amazing. And um, yeah, I don't know if a lot of people have seen her ever perform before, but she comes in and she's she's part Cambodian. And I think, you know, I don't even know how many, maybe even one or two years ago, I think the 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 powers that be might have said, you know, let's just make her play Filipina. You know, it would have been easy because I think she could pass for a Filipina if she had to. But at what point did you say, no, well, that's her, Cambodian is her background. Let's make Tony Cambodian that lived in the Philippines. When, when did that discussion come out? Or would, did that happen before she was attached? Or was that because of her background that you decided, let's make Tony Cambodian? Yeah, it was because of her background. I mean, one of the things that we really wanted to do was create authenticity in this piece. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so we didn't want to force her ethnic background on the character, but at the same time, I really didn't want to let go of having a Filipino family at the core of the show. And so to put those two ideas together, um, you know, we we basically said, well, let's just have her be Cambodian who lives in the, like she she went to medical school in in the Philippines, married a Filipino, and you know. I think that allowed us to actually embrace both cultures yeah. and actually widen the perspective of what it is to, to, you know, be Asian um, because, you know, there's this huge assumption yeah. that if you're from a certain place that only people of that ethnic background are from that place. Right. And that's just yeah, not yeah. true. So in the Philippines, there are, you know, there are Cambodians in China. There's a lot of, uh, there's actually a huge, Chinese population. There's there's also Japanese and Korean and, and a lot of other ethnicities as well. And so, um, you know, so actually it, it was it, it was it was great to just make that change and just, um, you know, allow these characters to 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 bring their own authentic selves to the roles as well. My family, actually, we are Chinese from the Philippines. So this has just been an awesome kind of reflection, you know, something I've never seen before. And seeing in the first episode when you just drop like so the Tagalogs of nonchalantly, like the TNTs and like Mahal Kita and all that stuff. So that was I thought that was really cool. And it kind of worked with Spider-Man coming out where they dropped the Tagalog with no subtitles. I thought that was it was a good moment for Filipinos everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so great to hear. I love that it's resonating um, in the community. Absolutely love that. And it was definitely a choice to not subtitle because yeah. you don't have subtitles flash up in everyday life, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. You either understand the language or you don't. Yeah. And people do just, you know, just throw in words and, and, and you know, it, it's just a part of how people talk. Yeah. So, And we all knew what they were saying. You know, it's like you, <laughs> you don't need to, to have the subtitles, but that was great. I think that was great. And I hear we're getting a Jollibee drop some, sometime soon on the show. <laughs> oh, there's a moment in the pilot where Chris is actually holding a, a Jollibee right. yeah. um, bucket. And <laughs> yeah, so... So, I mean, I, I tout this show as being a San Francisco show, but I'm actually right across the border in Daly City, which is a Filipino capital of California. And we have three Jollibees here. So uh, we're, we're going to definitely celebrate this show with a little Jollibee later. <laughs> so I think, I think, yeah, I think the subtle things like that and uh, you, you even have that tagline sometimes on your Instagram is like work hard and play harder. That it's kind of a it's kind of a Filipino thing that that people do. They work super hard, but they also know how to have fun. Even I think Martha Milan was saying that 
that's Filipino culture sometimes, is no matter how stressed you are or what you go through. So subtle things like that, I think, are really special about this show that we've never seen before. Yes. So And also the basketball. Basketball is very important. Yes, <laughs> yeah, basketball is, is pretty huge in the Philippines as well. So we, yeah, that's something that we, we wanted to bring in. And the Jollibee is interesting because we are, the policy is actually to not have any product placement. Mm. And so that is something that, um, that we fought for because, because it, it's not about the product placement, it is about culture. And so, so we wanted just that little piece of representation in there. And that's, that's why Fox agreed to it. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was definitely um, placed and um, embraced, which is great. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. So we've seen two episodes so far. Um, we actually haven't even set up the show. We, I've, you know, I'm kind of nervous, so I'm just talking and talking and talking. But we haven't even set up the show yet. And so uh, the show is about a a family, a Filipino family. So you have the uh, Martha Milan character and her sister-in-law, who's played by Elodie Young. And they are in Las Vegas, uh, undocumented. They are undocumented workers in Las Vegas, picking up jobs. It looks like, how many jobs do they have? It looks like they have at least, you know, they work at the bowling alley, they work at the, work at the hotel, they work at the club. So they're working all over, you know, job to job because that's what you got to do, right? You can't just have that stable employment. So they're working and then, um, and then something happens. We don't want to spoil anything, but something happens and, and uh, Tony's, Tony, Elodie's character, witnesses something that she isn't supposed to and gets kind of tied up in organized crime. And they realize that she's an asset to them and they keep her around. So you have, uh, oh, and then of course there's, um, her family is in jeopardy. Like she has a son who has a very serious medical condition with his immune system. And so she's trying to get him treatment here in America and, has, and ends up making the decision to stay here undocumented to wait for this treatment. And as such, she's putting herself in jeopardy and, and her family as well. And so it's kind of the story of a woman who's backed in a corner to, to try to save her son. And you can tell she's a good woman, but she's making some decisions that are a little... They're difficult, you know. She's put in so many difficult situations, and for me, I don't know if you agree with this, but for me, it kind of reminds me a little bit about Breaking Bad, you know, because I'm a science teacher myself, so I I kind of relate to that character a little bit. Maybe maybe a little bit like the fugitive, or or someone who's a good person, super talented, super smart, but has to make make decisions to constantly dodge um, all these problems. What were your influences for this show as you're as you were as you were writing it? What what sorts of things influenced you as you tried to come up with the story and the plot line for this? Well, I was a huge uh, fan of Breaking Bad for sure, <laughs> and I have for a long time wanted to do a Breaking Bad, like a female Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh. And um, and so when the the idea of this show came up of um, a cleaning lady who ends up working for the mob, I thought like, oh, here's the opportunity where I can create not only a female Breaking Bad, but an Asian female Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so that was definitely one of the motivations for creating the show. Um, but at the same time, like she's a very different character. She's, she's and under very different circumstances. And, um, and so there are a lot of differences and things that, you know, make this show particularly unique. 
um, you know, not only does she have a child that she's, you know, that she she's trying to save, um, but, you know, the fact that she she's a doctor and, um, you know, so that she comes from a very different perspective and, you know, she doesn't she's not getting into crime by choice. She's not she's not choosing yeah. this path. She's just she you know, she she ended up on this path to stay alive and to keep her son alive and to to get her son treatment. And, you know, you know, definitely her navigating this 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 world of crime and this world of moral grace is a lot, you know, it is a lot about the journey of her character in the show. Um, but it also, you know, instead of breaking bad per se, part of the question is how is she going to hold on to her morality through this? Yeah. How yeah. is she gonna um, you know? keep her moral center. And part of that is, you know, she does have this child who, who, who is her, her beacon of, of hope and light. And so um, because of that, you know, I think her journey will, will be, will be very different and interesting for, for us to explore. Yeah. I can't wait. (laughs) And the stakes are high to start, you know, from day one stakes are high and they just get higher and higher. And I love that about this show. So looking forward to it. Um, so, you know, we've talked a little bit on the show about television and we talked about the sitcoms, you know, coming up through, you know, Mel and I are a little older, so coming up through the seventies and the eighties and there really wasn't much, you know, and, and honestly, um, I, I can't honestly remember the last time I watched a network television show, like one of the big four networks, right? Like, uh, you know, everything's gone streaming or international, so this is this is great. This is new. This is something different. Um, and I think what it's going to take are people like you behind the camera, writing and producing. Do you see the landscape changing much in Hollywood? And and is this just the beginning for us, or are, are we going to see more and more coming down the pike? I, I I have to believe so. I have to hope so. Um, and I I think I actually got very lucky. You know, I, I, I think I hit on a time where, um, you know, the audience was opening up to more diverse stories. And in fact, um, when I started developing the show, I, I thought it would be for streaming and cable. And Warner Brothers um, actually had the foresight to say, you know what, there are a lot of broadcast, you know, in broadcast and on network where they, they there is a greater desire for different perspectives, different voices. Um, and they said, let's try, let's pitch it to network first and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And Fox was actually the first network I pitched to and, and they scooped it up right away. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah. And then after, so, so first they pick up a script and they were excited about the script. They asked me to come back to pitch the season. And then we were actually the first drama that was picked up that year, which is now two years ago. Uh-huh, and yeah. they actually said, you know, we recognize that we will probably have to find two relatively unknown actors to play these leading women in our show. And we're really excited for that opportunity to put these new voices and new faces on screen. Just, you know, we got to surround them with more familiar faces. So they, they again, they embraced the challenge. Um, so, you know, I feel really, really grateful for that. And, and yeah, I think that, you know, having this show on the air um, will, 
will hopefully open up opportunities um, for, you know, for more stories like this or more stories with Asian American voices. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's a great time for 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 television and film where we are yeah. just seeing a lot of representation across the board and, and diversity at every level. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's a great time. That is really encouraging to hear because, you know, we talked about Melvin Marr and how he did it fresh off the boat. And then ABC Disney came to him and asked him what he wanted to do next. And he came up with Doogie Kamaloa. So I, I think that that's encouraging to me that, you know, the executives at, at the top of the network are, are realizing, hey, you know, 60 percent of the world is Asian, right? That there's a lot of us out there. And the success of Korean dramas and Parasite and BTS. I mean, I think I think finally people are ready to see, you know, black hair on the screen, a little bit darker skin. You know, I think people are starting to get ready to see things like that on television. So it's, it's neat to to see it right before your eyes in a, in a day that we didn't necessarily know would ever come. You know? Also, I think what's uniquely wonderful about your show is that even with the K-dramas and, and the K-pop and all that, it's still international talent, right? So you're bringing something that's an American story that really hasn't seen the light of day, but it's it's Amer- you know, it's as America as apple pie, right? Because the Filipinos have been here since like the 1700s or something in, in Louisiana. So it's, it's just wonderful. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. Like this, this kind of story has been around a long time, um, you know, and, and again, a lot of people have been dismissed or, or disregarded and, and just ignored. You know, they're supposed to just do the work behind the scenes, stay invisible. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's a really, really great opportunity to actually be able to dig into a character and get to know, um, you know, who she is. And as I said, you know, all people, you know, have so many hopes and dreams are, and, and, you know, are all the same at the core. And, and what I really hope that this show does is just open up perspectives um, and open up hearts and minds and just compassion for people. Mm. And I think that's really the goal is to create empathy and compassion for these characters. And hopefully that will translate to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. To tell their stories, to see, to see people as people. Right. And that's, you know, and and it's a little messy. It's not always, you know, (laughs) it's not always the, the, everyone doesn't always have the rag to riches story or the quote unquote model minority storyline, you know, and it's great to see that we're not a monolith, that there's so much out there. So kudos to you guys for bringing that to the screen. That's exciting. We're really excited about it. Um, so just the big, big, big picture. Do you think 2020s are, are, are the year of the Asian in, in media? I mean, we're seeing so much in sports and in media and movies and theater and television. Well, I think, you know, again, I think diversity is being embraced in, in general. And I think that um, what's wonderful is that the Asian community is is coming forward, coming together putting, you know, our stories, um, up front and, you know, for, for a long time, 
we we have been dismissed or, or disregarded and other communities have been stronger in in putting their voices forward and i think i think we are starting to do that more than ever so i think that it is a great time i think people are finally um you know listening and embracing um you know and and that's why there's also blowback so it's it's you know, unfortunate, yeah. but I think we just have to stay strong and keep supporting each other. And, um, you know, and that that's how we will get our stories, um, you know, out there and put in the forefront is, is just, um, you know, we have to keep believing it and, and, and keep, you know, championing those, those stories and voices. Putting in the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have we are called the Infatuation Podcast, so we have kind of a segment here I want to start doing is asking our guests who their infatuation is. Now, infatuation is just something Asian, some one Asian that you love or that you admire, and I'm not sure if you had time to think about this, but uh, is there, do you have an infatuation at the moment? It could be someone personal or someone afar that you noticed. Oh, I think I'm 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 totally infatuated, <laughs> infatuated <laughs> uh, with Rubia Bara right now. She is so incredible. And um, when I heard us, I saw the video, I was completely blown away by her talent. And so when I saw that, I, I, I wrote her in the script. I wrote, I wrote the song in the script. I actually pitched it. When I went back to pitch the network the, um, the first season, I actually played that video for them. And I said, this is what I want to be the theme song of the show. And, um, and it, you know, she just has so much, um, I mean, she has so much to say for one. She has so much to say and she has so much fire and strength and, and resilience and, and, and this incredible talent. And so not only did we get the song in the pilot episode, we asked her to, to collaborate with our Emmy award-winning um, um, music composer, Mark Isham. And so um, Ruby and Mark and his son, Nick Isham, have been creating original songs for the series. And so, um, so not only in, in the pilot and, and in episode two, but you will hear um, a few different songs throughout the season. So I'm so excited for that. Um, she's amazing to work with and, um, you know, just an incredible person and, and, and just an amazing human being. I believe she's a local talent. She's from the East Bay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think San Leandro, I think. All right. We, we are we are a little biased towards the Bay Area. So any, <laughs> any Bay Area connection, we That's love right. it. We love it. And I heard, I saw a little tidbit. I think Lou Diamond Phillips is coming on, making a little appearance on your show. He is. He will be in episode four. All right. He's my guy. You know, I you know, I grew up in the eighties, so you know, grew up with La Bamba, the Richie Valens story. And I love Longmire. And I heard that this year was the first time he's ever played a Filipino guy before. 
Yeah, and and um, and he asked for it too on um, Prodigal's son. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and, and so again, because they were not, they were never roles. And so, know, he, yeah. you know, people assume that, oh, he must be Hispanic or First yeah. Nations. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he finally gets to play a Filipino character. So, um, so he does play a, a Filipino character on the show as well, a Filipino American character. Man, you could have been the first, Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great for him. We love him. Super talented. Been around for a long time. A long time. Playing all all different characters, but never Filipino. So that's great to see him playing that role. Yeah, and then we also um, his daughter makes an appearance as well. Yes, we saw that as well. <laughs> cool. That's very cool. Very cool. Okay, looking definitely looking forward to that as well as all the representation you guys are doing. Um, such a good show. Uh, you know, I wanted to like it no matter what because of the representation, <laughs> but it's it's a good show. It's just a really good show too. So everyone should definitely watch it. Uh, it's on Fox. Uh, we took a little week off because of football. Stupid football. We took a week off. But we're coming back next week with episode 103. And then starting January 29th, you'll be doing repeat episodes on Fox on Saturdays at 9 p.m. So no excuse. You can watch it live. But if you miss it live, there's still no excuse because you can watch watch it on Fox.com. Or I have the Fox Now app on my phone. So I watch it. Don't tell my boss, but I watch it at work. In between classes, I'm watching uh, a little clean. Instead of subbing. Yeah, instead of subbing, I am watching the, the cleaning lady on Fox. So such a fun show. We need to get more eyeballs on it. You guys are doing well. Uh, you killed it in the pilot. 3.6 million viewers. That was the live numbers, right? So you're killing it. But we want to make sure we get a season two, right? We want to get as many eyeballs on this as possible. Um, it always bothers me when, when people get upset that a show gets taken off the air, but you know, it's in your hands viewers. You gotta, gotta get eyeballs on it. And then, uh, yeah, we want to make sure that we get a season two to find out what happens on this show. So I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, episode number 19, uh, Miranda Kwok, creator and executive producer of Fox's The Cleaning Lady. Thanks so much for joining us and giving us some of your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate being here and um, and appreciate what you're doing as well. So thank you. We're all, we're all trying, right? We're all doing our little part. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, thank you too, Mel, for coming along. Always fun. She's my TV buddy, so she comes on on all my TV shows. <laughs> uh, listeners out there, have you seen The Cleaning Lady? What do you think? You can write to us. Uh, your thoughts about representation as well as television at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at The Infatuation Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, there's more episodes coming soon, so stay tuned wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us and leave us a rating. That way you'll know uh, what's coming down the pike. So thank you all out there for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you. That was fun. Very nice to meet you. You too. You got you got some stuff coming down for yourself that you're working on, or just keep making pitches and keep working. Yeah, I have to come up with the, my next idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, another um, development deal over at Warner Brothers. So. Okay. So they're you know they're throwing different things my way, and I and but I can also just come up with my own thing. So I just have to you know, stir my brain a little and 
see see what excites me to do next. If you ever need a AP biology teacher, <laughs> um, I got you right here. You know, Chinese guy in San Francisco. Let me know. I'll audition. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time and uh, best of luck with this show. I, I I feel like it's gonna do well. We're gonna see a season two at least. You got one already in the can, right? You got season one is already done. Yeah, all done. Okay, so fingers crossed. Congratulations. This is be, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's exciting. Thank you, and appreciate your support. Oh, absolutely. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Bye. Bye.